Broadcasting live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. This is Unnecessary Roughness. Caught at the 20, racing near sideline 10, turn of the 5, touchdown Raiders! The crowd applauds because Las Vegas just win, baby! Unnecessary Roughness on Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. Here's your boy Q. And here we go, kicking off hour number two of the show. We're here at the VU Studios, Aces Media Day. My man, Damon Cotton's back in the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. You'll get to hear from Kelsey Plum of the Las Vegas Aces coming up in just a little while. But join us now on the phone lines is our good friend and former NFL offensive lineman, Orlando Franklin. And, oh, I do appreciate your time this afternoon, my man. And I want to have you on for a couple reasons. The first one is just when a player gets their hands on the NFL schedule, as all the players did last week on Thursday, what is it that you focus in on? What was it like when you got your hands on that schedule? Uh, well, first of all, you're gonna thanks for having me, Q. But um, the thing that I would immediately look at: where's the bye week? Where is the bye week? So <laughs> you know, those bye weeks—that's that's when you get your body right. That's when you're able to kind of decompress, get away from the game for at least like 48 hours to 72 hours. So that's what I always wanted to know. And I wanted it to be kind of around the middle of the season. You don't want an early bye week because you've got to go grind out the back half of the season, or you don't want a late bye week when now it's a grind to get to that. So the happy places, week seven, eight, nine, you know, you're happy with those weeks um, as far as the bye week goes. So that would be the first thing that I would always look at whenever I got the season. Well, the Raiders got their bye week this year in week 13. So it's not really the middle. It's towards the back end. How difficult is that to kind of navigate through 12 grinding games and then finally you get a little bit of a break? It's a grind. You know, um, from the time I first got into the NFL, we were always taught to look at the season as, you know, four quarters. So now you have 17 games, but before that, there were 16 games. So every four quarters, every four games, that's a quarter. Right. And that's first four games, that's when you're trying to figure out the identity of your football team and understanding, hey, are we a run team? Are we a pass team? Here's our got-to-have-it plays, and you really kind of understand who you are after that. And then, you know, the second and third quarter, you know, you're looking at it as, you know, you're imposing your will. You're imposing your will in that last quarter, those last four games, but now five games because we're on a 17-week schedule. That's when you're really looking at it saying, hey, if we're a playoff team, we need to start picking it up a notch. We need to get into another gear and show everybody that, you know, we're here to play and we're, we're not playing no games, but also we're going to make a deep run in the playoffs. And it doesn't matter if you know our identity. We're, we feel so comfortable with our identity that you're not going to be able to stop who we are. Former former offensive lineman Orlando Franklin joins us here on Raider Nation Radio 920 Unnecessary Roughness. Now, uh, the Raiders opened up with Denver, and, and apparently Denver wanted the Raiders to, to be in, in Denver to start the season off. And, and, oh, you do radio there in Denver. What is the feeling around their schedule? You know, what, what are the Bronco fans feeling about their schedule? And how excited are they to open up the season against the Raiders? Uh, I'll tell you this. I was drafted to the Broncos. Anytime the Broncos and Raiders can open up the season <laughs> – that's exciting times here in Bronco country. I saw the schedule queue, and I got excited for the Denver Broncos. I'm excited for the Las Vegas Raiders because I know what this game means to both organizations. There is bad blood all over the field. The Broncos don't like the Raiders, and the Raiders don't like the Broncos, and that's how it is. So when you see that you get an opportunity to start the season off, you kind of smile and chuckle a little bit because you know you got to bring it week one. I've always looked at the Raiders as a tone setter. 
You know, I remember playing big Tommy Kelly back in the day, Richard Seymour back in the day. Um, you know, O'Shaughnessy, strong as heck, defensive end. Where, you know, Tommy Kelly's doing a push-up on the ground with me on his back, and I weigh 340 pounds, and I'm just <laughs> like, whoa, this is a different type of animal, you know? So anytime you get that, to, you get to, you know, right out the gate, understand exactly who you are, or you know you got to give it everything you got, that's going to put a smile on your face. And, and when you get a chance to end the season, you know, hopefully both teams are playing for something at the end of the season, so it could be an absolute bloodbath out there, and both teams are getting after it with playoff implications. So oh, here in Bronco Country, we're excited that we get the Raiders to start off and we get the Raiders to end. And another thing that we're excited about, in a three-week span, we get KC. We get them on prime time out there. And then we come back, play a different team, and then we get KC the following week. I love those, you know, quick turnarounds because there's always that familiarity, especially with a divisional opponent where you kind of get it out of the way. KC's been at the top of this division for the last decade, it seems like, since I've retired almost. And it's just been unbelievable. So I know that talking to the guys that are playing for the Broncos, they're super excited about how kind of they get to test, to test who they are at the start of the year against the Raiders. At the end of the year, they're hoping that both teams are playing for something, that somebody could send somebody home in a situation like that. But they're also super excited about the KC as far as how quick of a turnaround they can in a three-week span. They play them two times. Orlando Franklin is our guest here on Raider Nation Radio 920. And let's say, Ruffins, DeMond's got one for you. You mentioned it a little bit there in your last answer, but when you guys would get the schedule, would you care where the divisional opponents were matched on the schedule? Yes, yes. So for me, I, I would always care. You know, I, I wanted to know when we had to go to KC. You know, are we going to KC earlier in the year or are we going in December? Because we know we could get some bad weather. KC is not like Colorado. Colorado, we get 300 days of sunshine. We're mile above sea level. You know, even if it snows on a Tuesday by the weekend, you're in flip-flops. So KC, I've been in some cold games, especially now with that, that fan base and that being the second loud, loudest stadium in the NFL. You know, that, that could be an issue. So you always kind of look at those things. Nobody really cares about the charges, but right, guys, that's a vacation, <laughs> right? You go, to, you go to L.A., you go to San Diego. When they're in San Diego back in the day, that's a vacation. I'm sure Raider Nation takes over the Chargers Stadium just like Broncos country does. Um, so you never really paid attention to that. But, yes, you would absolutely pay attention. And back in the day when you guys were the, the Oakland Raiders, I'll tell you this, we were paying attention because we didn't want to play on that clay field. So, you know, that baseball field, it sucks falling on that stuff, you know. So you would always try to figure out exactly where the divisional opponents were at. And then when it comes to seeing when you have to go to an opposing team, how much feedback did you get from your fellow players about, hey, man, we really don't want to come to Denver later in the year? And did you guys take that as an advantage, have that home field advantage, Denver maybe in cold, you know, maybe even a little snow towards the end of the season? Yeah, so – you know, now that's kind of what you hear a lot more. But I'll tell you, when I was playing, you know, I, I played with Tebow Mania. That was my first year. And then I got three years of Peyton. So it really didn't matter the type of time of year that the, our divisional opponents came here to Denver because we were going to run them off the field. We were going to go no huddle with Peyton immediately to get those guys tired just because of the altitude. So we used to try to take advantage of that. It's been a little shocker. You know, that the Broncos haven't been able to kind of get a quarterback to really operate in that no huddle because you got to take advantage of, of just, you know, geography, right, and where you live. And if you get a team that gets here on Tuesday, you know, even, if it, even if a team gets here, sorry, fellas, on Friday, 
in two days before the game. Their skills, the altitude is still going to affect them. So, you know, back when I was playing, we understood that we were going to go no huddle immediately to try to get these guys as tired as possible. Since I haven't been playing with the Broncos, you know, Joe Flack with the Case Keenum's, uh, you know, Russell Wilson even last year, it's kind of shocked me how these coaches have kind of went to a no huddle and used the altitude as their advantage type of thing. Again, former NFL offensive lineman Orlando Franklin joins us here on Raider Nation Radio 920, Necessary Roughness. So, oh, I wanted to, uh, I wanted to ask you about Sean Payton. I mean, obviously, you know, Nathaniel Hackett didn't last the whole season. Sean Payton is the new guy on the, on the block, and I know it's early. It's only May. But have you started to see what a Sean Payton team-led team starts to look like there in Denver? Yeah, well, I'll tell you this. They, they just had their rookie minicamp this past weekend. That was something that was very unique here in Broncos country is he didn't have any decals on the helmets. So the helmets were just bare out there. And then essentially, guys just had their name, their last name on the helmet. So no Broncos logo. Um, we had a lot of trials come in, you know, a, a, typically a lot more this time around than usual for the rookie minicamp. And he really opened it up and, and used it, had a lot of XFL players in it, a lot of local college kids. He gave them the opportunity to make a team. And, you know, you get the sense that Sean Payton is, is – you know, going in the direction saying that, you know, we're, we're not going to just award you anything. Like, these guys are going to have to earn everything that they get. I was in a training camp with Sean Payton before my, I blew my knee out in 2016. And that's something that I loved about him is just how he addressed the team. But also he demanded, you know, that the team conditioned herself very well. And if you, for instance, when I was at training camp, we had went through a whole entire drill. So the ones took six reps, the twos took six, and then the, the threes took four, and then the ones were back up. They took twelve or five reps, the twos took five reps, and then the threes took three, and it wasn't good enough. And Sean Payton blew the whistle at the end. He let anybody take a rep and was like, that wasn't good enough, we're going to start all over. So you get the sense that there's finally an out in the room. Nathaniel Hackett was here last year, and it's not an indictment against him, but he didn't want to do seven on seven. He didn't want to do one-on-ones. That's a very intricate part of the game of football where you're able to try different things and learn some things about who you are as a player and how you're going to approach games. So I don't really think that the guys were really that well prepared going into games. Where with Sean Payton being here, you know they're going to be prepared. Now it's up to them to pull out the right tools in the right situations when they're out there on the football field. Well, the Raiders just wrapped up with rookie minicamp over the weekend as well, and we weren't uh, able to be out there as far as media goes. But typically in a rookie minicamp, Orlando, what, what happens? What, what should you know, fans expect to, to even think that their team is doing during rookie minicamp? Wow. Well, you guys are the wrong person. I got drafted the year of the lockout. There was no rookie minicamp for me. <laughs> I showed up day one of training camp, and the next day was a starting right tackle. I was like, what the heck? Y'all speaking Spanish out here to me. I don't understand the terminology or anything. But – over the years, what I've seen, guys, in, in rookie minicamp, you, you want to see these guys play fast. You want to, you know, make sure that you could see that there's no hesitation. You understand. For me, what I get is that the scheme is not too complex, that these guys are understanding what they're learning in the classroom and they're taking it out there on the field. And you want to see what these coaches do. You know, do they have everything planned out? Or are they kind of on their heels and, and, you know, when they go from drill to drill, now they're setting for new drill? Or do they have, you know, kind of a routine and a schedule? Sean Payton kind of pieced his staff together. A lot of these guys haven't worked together before. So that's something that we were watching for this past weekend. And this was our first time that they allowed us out there because we, we haven't been introduced to um, 
the free agents the Broncos had. We yeah. hadn't got to meet with uh, the, the rookies that came in after the draft or the draft picks. You know, Sean Payton's been keeping this thing really tight where he's been the only person kind of addressing the media. You know, they made a joke last week because Sean Payton and um, Russell Wilson and Tim Patrick were at the Nuggets versus Suns game, and you should have seen it on Twitter. It said, this is the most we've seen out of the Broncos offseason program since <laughs> the gun. And, and they were at a basketball game sitting courtside. You know, right. so yeah. they're, they're keeping this thing pretty much under the wraps right now. I've got to ask, when it comes to the media and the members of Bronco Country with the fan base, are the, are people looking at it maybe like with the Jaguars last season where Nathaniel Hackett didn't have any off-the-field shenanigans, but people are looking at last year as a mulligan, and this is the year that actually counts. Like, not saying that the work that they put in didn't count, but, you know, it's the, you know, we got to take that with a grain of salt because it was Nathaniel Hackett. Yeah, so for me, I'll keep it honest with you fellas. This, this team, I'm in show-me mode because – Unfortunately, you know, I trust John Elway a lot, but John Elway sat there and said that Case Keenum was going to be the quarterback for, for the Denver Broncos. Well, the Broncos didn't make it to the playoffs. Then John Elway got up there and said that Joe Flacco was in his prime. The following year, the Broncos were paying Joe Flacco to be on another football team. So I think Broncos country has kind of been lied to so many different times, and this football team really lacks some depth in certain areas, some key areas, outside linebacker, inside linebacker, defensive line. They're, they're lacking some depth on the defense. That's, I think what we saw to this defense last year under Coach Evro was the best that it could absolutely get. You know, it's going to be very interesting to see how Van Joseph attacks each and every uh, opponent this year. But I think offensively, there's going to be a lot more firepower. You know, Sean Payton has kind of retooled this offense, and now it's all about can he be somewhat, you know, and I say fix Russell Wilson in air quotes because if Russell Wilson doesn't adhere to Sean Payton, when Sean Payton says jumping, Russell Wilson doesn't say how high. Russell Wilson's going to get shown the door. I promise you guys that. Like, it's not going to be a situation where it is like Nathaniel Hackett last year where you're catering to the quarterback or trying to do the things that the quarterback likes. No, Sean Payton's going to call plays that all 11 backs can have success on. And if Russell checks out of that on the line of scrimmage, he better check into a play that all 11 guys can have success, not a play that just Russell Wilson likes. So it's going to be very interesting to see how much of that equates to wins and losses for this football team. But there is some serious question marks when, it, when you look at the depth. And that's draft picks, right? You gave up a ton to get Russell Wilson, and then you had to give up the first-round pick in order to get Sean Payton. And so you got to kind of retool this. And that's why we saw the Broncos spend a lot in free agency and try to bolster that offensive line because we know they want to run the football. And when you're able to run the football and impose your will with, you know, Mike McGlinchey and Ben Powers and, and the rest of the offensive line, that's when the passing game gets a lot easier for Russell Wilson. So we might see a huge drop-off on the defense, but the offense should have enough to have the fireworks going. You know, this offense should score 25 points a game, in my opinion. When it comes to that quarterback position, over here in Vegas, we were surprised when Jared Stidham left this offseason. But then it starts to make a little bit more sense that he may have an opportunity, more of an opportunity to play with the Denver Broncos as opposed to the Raiders. Is that that sense that you're getting too? that if Russell Wilson doesn't get it together, that Jared Stidham could take that job by the end of the season if things aren't going right? Yeah, so let's just be honest, man. You don't pay somebody $50 million and just go away from them quick, right? It's right. going to have to be a disaster. It's going to have to look a lot like last year for Russell Wilson to get benched. But I don't think that with Jared Stidham now, the situation is 
okay, if it does look any form like what it looked like last year for Russell Wilson, I can see Stidham going out there, not for one week, fellas. I can see him going out there for like three or four weeks and Sean Payton saying, hey, we're, we're getting ready to go in a different direction altogether. You know, this new ownership group, they, they've showed that they want to win, given the contract with Sean Payton that they did, but also, you know, advising this coaching staff to spend big in free agency, especially on that offensive line. So you could tell that a lot of people are kind of fed up with what, what, what happened last year, and it's all about Russell Wilson now to retool himself and fix himself to get back out there and be successful because it's about winning here. And if you can't win, they will go to somebody else they will do all the right things and checks every box and get that from Jared Sidham. Yeah, he's not going to wow you out there and, and go out there and light it up, but he definitely can play in a system. There's a reason why Josh McDaniels wanted him out there, and, you know, there's a reason why Josh McDaniels left him and went to Jimmy Garoppolo because he's had Jimmy before. You know, I'm excited for you guys. I'm excited to see what Josh could do with Jimmy because Jimmy was drafted to, to Josh, and, you know, I coached in San Francisco two years ago with Jimmy, and Jimmy's a heck of a player. You know, if he stays healthy – he can read the defense and he can deliver the ball. Now, I'm going to tell you guys this. He's, he's going to give you guys one a game where you're <laughs> like, what the heck, Jimmy? Why did you just throw that? But for the most part, you know, he's, he's going to be very accurate. So it's going to be very interesting to see kind of what every quarterback does in this division. You know, even Justin Herbert now having a new offensive coordinator. Patrick Mahomes doesn't have Eric Bieniemy with him anymore. This is the, by far the most interesting division when it comes to the quarterback play in the 2023 season. We're going to find out a lot about the AFC West Coast. Former NFL offensive lineman Orlando Franklin is our guest here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Necessary Ralph, just got a couple more questions for you. How important is it for Sean Payton and the Broncos to snap that streak that they have against the Raiders, where the Raiders in the last, what, seven, eight games have been very successful against Denver? How, how important is it for Sean in, in general to make sure that that doesn't continue, that trend doesn't continue to happen? I think it's very important. You know, um, when, when you look at the Raiders, the, I'll tell you this. You know, I played in this division for seven years in my career, right? And, and the most important thing was for me, whether I was a part of the Chargers for three of it or the Broncos for four. The most important thing was sweeping the Raiders. That was the absolute most important thing. My rookie year, we didn't do it. We split in 2011. But, you know, for the next three years, we, we were able to have some dominant performances against the Raiders. It's, it's the most important thing. It's, it's what Broncos country is relying on and with, you know, Nathaniel Hackett last year, he, he downplayed the rivalry. It doesn't matter that, you know, the Raiders now are in Las Vegas. This, this is a, a rivalry, and this is one of the best rivalries in the National Football League. So I think all the pressure's there. You know, I, I would think in year one it's more important for Sean Payton to, to, to take care of the Las Vegas Raiders than it is for, you know, a lot of people in Broncos country will understand it. Even if you, you split or you, you get swept by KC, and, you know, nobody ever wants to get swept, guys, but you guys know the bad blood that the fans have yeah. against each other when it comes to this rivalry with the Raiders and Broncos. So I think even if, you know, it looked really bad against KC and you beat the Raiders two times, you know, it'll go a long way here in Colorado for Sean Payton. Final question for you. I want to switch our, our our conversation real quick to the Denver Nuggets. They're going to be taking on uh, the L.A. Lakers in the Western Conference Finals, and I was wondering how they were going to act as the, the team with the target on their back. And, oh, I think we even talked about it on the radio together a few times. So uh, what are your thoughts, man? What are your thoughts on the Lakers and, and Nuggets? How is this going to shake out? You know, I, I think um, I think chemistry is going to override. You know, yeah, LeBron and, and AD, they're playing at a very high level. 
But what, I think what we're seeing with LeBron is he's picking and choosing when, when to really go out there. And he cannot do that against his Nuggets team. His Nuggets team is a deep basketball team, and they need to go out there and play with consistency. But if LeBron chooses to, you know, take his seat back like he did in Game 5 when they played against when Golden State played against him, I think the Nuggets will expose that basketball team. So it's going to be very interesting because, you know, you understand that the Nuggets went, have went with an eight-man rotation. Um, a lot of other guys, it's kind of one, two, three, Cancun. See you guys next year. We're only playing eight guys. But it's going to be very interesting to see how LeBron comes here at the altitude and, and tries to play in altitude. We ended the Nuggets were the one seed, so the series starts off there. But I think ultimately it's going to end in, in seven, in our six. Um, and that means it ends in L.A. And so I got the Nuggets in six, fellas. There you go. Orlando Franklin, the great Orlando Franklin with us here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Oh, fantastic stuff, my man. It's great to catch up with you. We got to do it some more often, man. We can't be strangers, man. I appreciate you. Hey, absolutely, Q. Just hit me up anytime, man. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate you guys. I really appreciate you. Orlando Franklin right there, former NFL offensive lineman, played with the Chargers, played with the Broncos, was drafted by the Broncos, and as he mentioned, was drafted in a lockout. He didn't even get the rookie minicamp, but uh, great stuff right there, great insight from Orlando, and it's great to hear from a player that, that knows what the rivalry is about, right? And Denver, again, wanted the Raiders to start the season. They got the Raiders. They're ending the season with the Raiders, so obviously it means a lot, and right now, you know, the Raiders have been very dominant against Denver. Can they keep that up? Well, we'll find out week one when the NFL season gets kicked off. 3.23 is the time. I don't know if you could tell, but a concert broke out here uh, in the background while we were uh, talking with Orlando Franklin. We're here at the at the VU Studios. It's Aces Media Day, and Sydney Colston is uh, taking her pictures and doing a little video work, and all of a sudden a Jay-Z concert broke out. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't know, Damon, how all of a sudden how that hit you. Quickly, I don't know if you all of a sudden you heard uh, something in uh, in Paris, <laughs> and all of a sudden you just rolled with it. Yeah, I mean nothing I could really do. Q, I mean I was just I was like it ain't that bad. It's not that bad. I was I was convincing myself it wasn't that bad. No, it wasn't at first when it started. Then all of a sudden it hit a peak where it got really really loud. Now it's kind of toned down a little bit, but uh, yeah. At one point, I was just bobbing my head like, "Yeah, man, that's a good track." I know that's what was funny. <laughs> we're we're on this Zoom, this this Google Meet, so we can you know communicate with each other in studio. And me being here, and all of a sudden I look up and I'm looking at Devon, and I'm like, "Wait a minute, he's on beat. Like he's you're okay, so you're into this song that's playing here." So that's when I knew that okay, there's a concert going on right now, and now Devon is into it. So many thanks to Orlando Franklin for his time this afternoon. Coming up next, we'll switch our attention to UNLV as they landed a big time recruit over the weekend. Matter of fact, uh, I found out about it on Sunday, on Mother's Day. We'll talk to Sam Gordon all about it. We'll do it next here on Raider Nation Radio 920. We're at the VU Studios, and of course, Damon is in the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. It's Unnecessary Roughness with your boy Q on Raider Nation Radio. Many thanks to former NFL offensive lineman Orlando Franklin joined us in the last segment to talk about the schedule, talk about the Raiders-Broncos, talk some stories. I love the story, DeMond, that he mentioned when he said that Tommy Kelly was uh, doing a push-up with him on his back, and at the time Orlando was 330-something pounds uh, offensive lineman at that point. He's slimmed down a lot now. I don't know if you've done a little bit of research, but uh, you know now that he's not in the league, not playing anymore, uh, he doesn't drink alcohol anymore, and he's lost a lot of weight. He looks really, really good, and uh, he's really good to catch up with as well. So definitely appreciate Orlando sharing, uh, giving us a few minutes of his time 
this afternoon to talk about all things NFL, Broncos, and Raiders related. Now we want to turn our attention to UNLV as we are again here at the VU Studios, Aces Media Day. It's been a lot of fun. They're uh, working right now on uh, on their intro video, and I'm not going to give out any secrets, but as you could tell by the sound of the background, there's a mini concert going on, and that's okay. We're all right with that. So uh, this is how we get down. But join us now on the phone lines from the RJ, the Review Journal, is our good friend Sam Gordon. And, Sam, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate you, man. And I saw the story that you put out on the RJ about DJ Thomas, a local young man from Liberty, staying home, and he's going to be a running rebel and might even reclassify and start a little early, even in the fall. How big of a get was DJ Thomas to, one, stay home and commit to Kevin Kruger and the running rebels? Uh, first and foremost, Q, uh, appreciate you having me again. Uh, I always love coming on the show. Uh, it's huge. It, it's huge. This is definitely the most significant uh, recruit that that has um, committed to UNLV. I would, you know, in the last several years, certainly, you know, maybe since Brandon McCoy in 2016, uh, 2016 I think he played the 17-18 season. Uh, but, but I would venture to say, you know, even even before that, Q, given – that D. Don Thomas Jr. Uh, is is local. He's a point guard. Uh, he he led Liberty to the state championship, and he's the son of a former Rebel, you know, D. Don Thomas Sr., who who was a great point guard who played for Jerry Tarkanian. So the last couple of years, he's really emerged uh, as a star, both locally and, and and nationally, as one of the top point guard prospects in the country. And you know, if he reclasses, if he reclassifies, and then sources close to uh, the program certainly expect him to, and demand the point. Um, for the Rebels in 23-24, he's the missing piece that they have for what I think is a, is a team, uh, a roster, the way it's constructed right now, that can certainly compete or should be able to compete with some of the better the better rosters uh, in the Mountain West. I mean, considering that they added the Boone Twins, one from Oklahoma State, one from Pacific, two proven uh, forwards that, that can score, that can rebound, one a little bit more of a dirty work player, another one uh, a little bit more of a, uh, a little better offensively, can shoot from the perimeter, they add Jalen Hill from Clark, a uh, 6'6 forward that can defend, that can handle the ball a little bit, played at Clark High School, then Oklahoma. So it, it was a strong class of transfers uh, that, that Kevin Kruger brought in, uh, perhaps his strongest day. They just needed a point guard uh, to run the show. And when you talk about Deion Thomas Jr., you're talking about somebody uh, that, that, that is a traditional peer playmaking point guard that likes to play to the strengths of his teammates, that has been in tons of big games since, since really – he debuted as a, as a high school basketball player at Liberty, you know, beating Bishop Gorman uh, to, to, to win the state championship as a sophomore, helping Liberty win the state championship, and then, of course, helping Liberty get back with a, with a different team this year and, and doing a little bit of everything. So he's a, a proven um, distributor and leader at the point guard position. The different recruiting services rank him anywhere from 20 to 30 uh, in the country, but, but UNLV believes, you know, has believed all along that he's the best point guard in the country. That's who they think they're bringing, on, bringing into their program. Uh, and he's got a roster of he'll play with a roster uh, filled with players that can complement uh, his skill set as he adjusts to the college game. So uh, it's it's a veteran team that that he is you know probably going to come be a part of. And again, the fact that he's local, that there is pedigree, that there is a point guard pedigree, that that, that his dad was a great great player at UNLV, and you certainly see that in the way that he plays and just what he's accomplished on the local prep scene. Um, it, it makes it. You know, it's not just a, a normal, you know, high-profile point guard committing from somewhere else. He, I mean, he, he's a Vegas kid. He wanted to be at UNLV, and it's huge for the program, not just this season, uh, but beyond as well. It's a major recruiting victory for Kevin Kruger, considering the schools he had to beat out Arizona, uh, Florida, Gonzaga, 
uh, Houston, UCLA. Those are blue bloods. And Deion yeah. and, and, and Thomas Jr. wanted to be a UNLV. Yeah, there's no doubt that those are blue bloods. Again, Sam Gordon is our guest here on Radio Nation Radio 920, Necessary Roughness. How much, I mean, when you have those kind of schools that you're going up against, how much can the, you know, the fact that it's his dad played for Coach Tar- Tarkanian, how much does that, like, weigh heavily in his thoughts? Because, again, these aren't no slums, man. These are powerhouses that he's going up against, and he still chose to stay home. Yeah, I mean, just, to, it, you know, and I, I spoke with, you know, obviously spoke with DJ Thomas yesterday. Um he he's always he's the rebels have been a part of of his life since since his forever since his entire life given that his his dad played at UNLV and that he was always in close proximity uh, to the program right so he he's been going to games forever UNLV basketball has been a part of his life forever so he told me yesterday um, that that it really crystallized for him when he played in the Thomas and Mack Center uh, at the state championship he, of course he's been in the arena a bunch, several times, going to games and watching games and whatnot. But that was his first time actually playing on the court. And, and you know, those are big-time programs, right, all around the country, uh, certainly all around the West Coast, some of the very best programs in college basketball places that he could have gone and, and expected to compete uh, for, you know, compete for, for Sweet 16s and Elite 8s and perhaps a national championship uh, right away. But ultimately, this is home for Deion Thomas Jr. That's what, that's what this came down to. He felt comfortable here and he feels comfortable at UNLV so uh, it's again it's a, it's a huge 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 recruiting victory uh, for Kevin Kruger uh, extremely high profile player locally and somebody with the game and the skill and the intangibles uh, to help be a, a foundational player again not just this year um, but beyond as well so uh, the fact that they beat out you know all those programs uh, I mean look there was the, the, he was the focal point of he was the recruiting focal point since Kruger got the job. There's, there's no doubt about that. But it, it sends a message, uh, I think, first and foremost, to locals. You know, after a couple, I think, just you know, very average seasons where you weren't sure what, what, what the Rebels were building to. It sends a message that look, they have, they, there's the potential to build something here, and, and that you can, you know, the, the statement it makes nationally when you beat out those schools, like, hey, look, maybe, maybe, maybe there is some potential for UNLV to turn this thing around. And, and he, you know, DJ Thomas wants to be a part of that. He remembered what, what the Thomas Mack was like when it was rocking and packed, uh, and it's been a long time since it's been like that, but he's the kind of player that can help get that turnaround going uh, as soon as next season. Sam Gordon is our guest here on Radio Nation Radio 920, Unnecessary Roughness. DeMond's got one for you. You mentioned Kevin Kruger, bro. He's been a target. Thomas has been a target since he's got the job, but even when he was an assistant, he was watching him while he was in eighth and ninth grade. Has DJ always been one of those players when you see the, the too soon rankings of best player in the class? Has he always been at the top, or would some consider him a late bloomer? No, no. I mean, he's always been good, right? It, it's certainly been known, known locally. Uh, even on the middle school scene, that that he was really, really good and, 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 and capable of dominating um, games. And it's it's funny, Demond. You know, he wasn't. I mean, he 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 played up from the time he was little. He was the coach's son, so you know his dad is a, is still uh, a coach and, and uh, one of the top player development specialists in town here. And, and he made sure to challenge him in every single situation. Right, playing him off the ball, playing him in different positions, playing him against older kids and whatnot. So it was all it, it all worked out right where he developed all the skills he needed to become the player he is now was really steeled by, by the competition and the experience he had at that level. So he, he wasn't by any means an unknown commodity. He's been a, a dominant player um, from the point guard position for several years now. Uh, and, and, and really, I think, got to showcase that on the biggest stages, right? Not only here in Las Vegas with uh, his performances against Bishop Gorman and performance up against Reno against Bishop Gorman, but 
on the AAU circuit as well with, with his, you know, dream vision, his program based in California. He played up, you know, last year uh, on, on the 17U squad and, and helped them have an incredible season and, and, and really showcase uh, what he can do, and he's doing the same thing right now. So the fact that he's a, a top 20 or top 30 player I don't think is a, is a surprise uh, to anybody locally. He's been really, really good for a long time. And, 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 and like you said, Kevin Kruger, even when he was an assistant on T.J. Osselberger's staff, was keeping a close eye on D.J. Thomas, knowing the potential that he had, you, you know, at, at this point. All right, Sam, I'm real excited about this commitment that UNLV's got, but I'll do a backflip once he actually signs that letter <laughs> of intent. How soon can we expect that letter to be signed so we know it's official? Yeah, I think it's, it's all comes down to the timing and just kind of finalizing w- whether or not he wants to reclassify, right? And, again, he told me yesterday it's about just kind of getting through some of the AAU stuff. This spring they were playing in Dallas, um, and, and it, it wasn't necessarily a done deal yet. But, again, you know, sources close to the program expect that and, and expect it to happen. And, and once all that is, is sorted out, um, he'll sign and, and they'll go from there. So, uh, you know, it's again, it's not, it's not, it's always, it's not a done deal until he puts pen to paper. Uh, that's that's what's going to make it official. But he wants to be at UNLV. He's wanted to be at UNLV for a while, and it's it's, it's just kind of crystallized for him in the spring. So it will happen, and when and when it does, um, again, UNLV is going to have a foundational player, somebody that can, I think, has the potential to really reinvigorate the community uh, with, with what UNLV basketball used to mean, and somebody that can, that, that again, can help complement the skill sets. Uh, of the players that are already on the roster. It's going to be an experienced roster filled with, with uh, upperclassmen, seniors, fifth-year seniors, transfers, men, right? You know, grown men, and, and D. Don Thomas Jr. has the intangibles, uh, in, in addition to the game, to be able to step into that kind of situation uh, and run the ball club. So, like you said, it's not official until until Fengis put the paper, uh, but if, if, if indeed the, re- the decision to reclassify is, is finalized, that, that should happen here pretty soon. You mentioned it a little bit there in your last answer, like some of the players that he's going to be playing with, UNLV is always active in the transfer portal. And I'm not saying put a number on how many wins he could add to this team, but does he make a difference day one when he steps on the court as making them a, a contender in the Mountain West? Yeah, I mean, I think that, I think that should be the expectation, right? I mean, you, you have a roster, again, Justin Webster's back, Luis Rodriguez uh, is back, you have the Twins coming in, you have Jalen Hill, they, they have another freshman guard, Brooklyn Hicks, 6'3 guard. That was the Mr. Basketball or the player of the year in Washington who averaged 35 uh, points per game. So, you, you know, I think you have to be realistic with expectations here, right? DJ, DJ Thomas is only going to be a freshman. I, I don't think he should be viewed necessarily as the savior for the program. There's still definitely um, work to do. But in terms of the impact that he can have day one, I don't think there's any question he can have an impact with day one from day one. And it's about the way – demand that that he plays the position right he understands the strengths and weaknesses of his teammates he doesn't it's not about you know necessarily his production his statistical production he's going to make the right basketball play he's a you know a maestro in pick and roll situations he understands matchups as well as any point guard i've ever seen and you know dictating matchups and understanding how to manipulate the defense to get favorable matchups be it for him you know maybe isolated against the big or for a teammate in the post he can direct traffic whether he's on or off the ball. And when you have a roster full of slashers and a little bit more shooting than they had you know, last season, those are the kind of players that, that he thrives with. When he was at Liberty, he always had shooters around him. And I think the difference between the state championship team when he was a sophomore and the team that lost in the state championship as a junior was the presence of Joshua Jefferson now at St. Mary's 6'9 post player. So he can play with bigs. He can play with guards. He can play with pace. He can play at the half court. And he, he's really, really good at kind of understanding – 
what the game and what the situation calls for. So I don't expect him to necessarily have a big scoring burden right away. I mean, that's why you have uh, experienced, you know, fourth and fifth year guys. Not saying that he's not going to be able to score, but I don't think the. I mean, he was 22, 23 a game at Liberty and had to have several 30 point games throughout the course of the season in order for that team to maximize where it was going to go, right? Like, that's not going to be necessarily the case for him at UNLV. He's going to be able to distribute. Um, and, and, again, there's still a scholarship, you know, open for, for be it another transfer, another high school player that can maybe grow with this class that includes Thomas and Hicks or a big or, you know, there, there's still room for improvement on this roster. They, again, they can stand at a big, uh, some shooting on the wing. But, but yeah, I, I think – he, he's good enough. I mean, UNLV is not the only program that, that had, you know, that there was discussion about reclassification, right? I mean, he was going to, there was, there was, there was always a possibility, and that's because he's that good. He can, he can go on, you know, any, be it in the Mountain West, be it in the Pac 12, Houston, wherever, wherever he was going to go, he was going to have the opportunity to make an impact um, day one, with, again, with his feel for the game as much as the skill that he has. And he's an extremely skilled player uh, on the offensive side of the ball, both on the floor. Sam Gordon is our guest here from the RJ on Raider Nation Radio 920. Unnecessary Roughness talking all things D-Don Thomas, uh, the new, the new uh, recruit uh, commit for, uh, for Coach Kruger and the, uh, the UNLV running Rebels. And so I did want to ask about the, the recruiting side of things, Sam, because recruiting is such a, a, a tough game, and it really is a, a game. But when you land a big commit like this, and it's a national, a, a guy that nationally many different programs wanted, how big is that for Coach Kruger moving forward to be able to land other potential big Big name recruits. I mean, I think I think you just nailed it right there, Q. It's huge, right? Especially if you're a, a big man that likes to finish around the basket or, or a shooter. Or so I mean, he he knows how to play um, with, with others and, and will makes a point to get his teammates involved. So you know, what great big man, what great scorer doesn't want you know a point guard that's going to go out of his way to get them really really good looks. So okay, that's that's and also to your point, that's the next step, right? I do believe he's going to be able. To, to help to attract other players, but it's also on Kruger and the coaching staff. I mean, again, Deion Thomas is a foundational piece, but he, he should not be expected by any means to be the savior to put this thing on his shoulders from day one. Right? It's important to continue that Kruger and his assistant coaches continue to surround him with, with other great players. And again, he's going to be able, I think, to attract some himself just with the gravity of his game and, and how he plays uh, the position, the, the point guard position is different, right? In 2023, speaking more big picture, yeah. you know, point guards, I think, are more empowered ever to, than ever before to score. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, right? It's all about getting good shots for your team. But he hunts good shots for his teammates first. And then if that's not working, he hunts good, good shots uh, for himself. And, 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 again, what great player doesn't want to play with somebody that's looking to get them um, good shots? So I do think there, this, this, does, this is going to be able to create a little bit of momentum um, in recruiting, I think both with on the, in the transfer scene and then with, with high school recruits as well that are going to have the opportunity to play with them. Sam, last one for you. Keeping it local but moving over to boxing. Was that stoppage that Roley Romero got this weekend one of the worst that you've <laughs> ever seen in boxing? No question. No, no question, Devon. And happy birthday, by the way. Uh, happy birthday. Thank you, thank you. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no question. That, I mean, look, there's a chance. Roley Romero was building a little bit of momentum. It wasn't a good performance for him. By any means, he was a 10-1 to favorite and was trailing on all three cars and, and, and was dropped by Ismail uh, Barroso. But you could see that he was starting to build a little bit of momentum. And, uh, and you know, there's a chance if Tony Weeks wouldn't have jumped in that he would have stopped Ismail Barroso anyways. But the timing of the stoppage, like none of those punches landed. You know, Barroso was still throwing. He wasn't hurt. He wasn't wobbled. He wasn't buzzed. You know, he had took a shot earlier and bounced back and was still throwing. So, 
it, it's I, I, I it's it's unexplainable why I, I'm trying to figure out what he saw or why he jumped in, and there's just no explanation for it. But you know, none of the, the the outcome is the outcome. Um, even Roley Romero was surprised. He wanted to win, you know, the, with with a with stoppage that I guess he earned. You know, he wanted Ismail Barroso to continue to fight so that he could he could earn the stoppage in, in spectacular fashion. And 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 you know, he he that's a, that's a sentiment he repeated multiple times that he wanted him to keep going and you know have respected had respect for his opponent. So uh, it was a bizarre ending to I think an underwhelming fight, but a fight that results again in Roley Romero being the WA's, WBA's 140 pound champion. And there are some. You know, intriguing fights at 140 pounds. It's a booming division. Uh, we know about his personality and how, he, you know, he's been able to market himself. And, and there are some big promotions uh, at 140 pounds that he can be a part of. It's just, a, it's just you know, a shame for boxing that it had to happen that way, that the way it did. Uh, again, the worst stoppage I've ever seen from referee Tony Weeks. I have no idea what he was thinking. <laughs> no doubt. That's a great way to drop the mic right there. Sam Gordon from the RJ. On uh, You can find him on Twitter, at by Sam Gordon. What are you working on that we should be on the lookout for? Yeah, Haney Loma Fight Week 2, uh, Undisputed Lightweight Championship of the World at 135 pounds. Devin Haney, Vasily Lomachenko, uh, Haney the Undisputed Champ, Lomachenko, three-division champion, uh, looking for one more big moment here in Vegas. That's on Saturday, May 20th, so I'm going to have coverage with of that and of all – uh, everything surrounding that throughout the course of the week. So really looking forward to that. Uh, a lot of big-time boxing in Vegas this spring. It's great. Great, great, great. And Haney is the original Oakland native, now Vegas native, right? Absolutely. It proudly, rep- proudly represents the Bay Area despite a long tenure in Vegas. Uh, he wants to fight in the Chase Center someday. He told me that that is a goal of his, to fight in the Chase Center, to go back home uh, and represent for everybody in the Bay. So uh, it's a big-time fight. Two extremely skilled fighters. On Saturday, again, for all the marbles at 135 pounds. Should be a fantastic event and a great night at MGM Grand Garden. Well, I'll tell you what, we might have to get you back on like on Friday just to give us a preview of that fight, uh, if you don't mind, because I, I would like to really deep dive into that one. That is a big-time fight. So uh, if, if your schedule says so, we'd love to have you back on on Friday to check it out. So No doubt about it, Q. I really appreciate it. Thank you guys for having me on. And, again, shout-out to Mom, man. Happy birthday. Have a great rest of your day. And uh, we'll talk later this week, guys. Really appreciate it. I appreciate you. Great stuff right there. Sam Gordon from the Review Journal on Twitter at by Sam Gordon. And, yeah, we'll just go ahead and book that, Damon. We'll, uh, we'll set that up for Friday. I do want to talk about that fight because that is a big-time fight. And I'll never forget, man, I, I met Devin Haney, some of his family at the uh, Finley Cadillac uh, uh, the, the dealership when I was there doing a show. And they said, and, you know, I'm not that deep into the fight game, so they were telling me, I said, man, you better watch out for, for my bro. Uh, Devin Haney, he's coming up. You know, he's an Oakland native, but he lives here and this and that. And so we kind of got into a little conversation about it. And here we go. Big time fight coming up this weekend with Devin Haney. 3.48 is the time. We're at the VU Studios. They're still uh, working as it's Aces Media Day. They're working on their uh, intro video. They've been having a lot of fun. A lot of the Aces have been rolling in and out of here. So uh, coming up next, what you're going to hear is Kelsey Plum, myself and Willie Ramirez. Had an opportunity to catch up with her earlier today from Aces Media Day. You'll hear that conversation. It's Radio Nation Radio 920. Now back to Unnecessary Roughness with your boy Q. We're at the VU Studios. It's Aces Media Day. They got their intro video that they're working on downstairs right now. It's really a nice studio here in Las Vegas that they're at. Last year for Media Day, we were all over at Mandalay Bay, and it was cool, but this is really an absolute production studio that they're at. So uh, they're having a good time. Candace Parker just walked by a few minutes ago, and I'm la- the last of the Mohicans. I'll just let you know that right now. I'm the last um, media outlet that's here. All the TV stations are gone. All the radio stations are gone. So it is me. 
It is me and me, and that's okay. We're rocking with you till 5 o'clock. Coming up at 4.15, we're pushing him back a few minutes. Tyler Dragon from USA Today, he'll join us to talk all things NFL. And uh, Peacock is getting involved in the streaming services as well as they'll be airing a playoff game, a wild card game coming up this year. Man, I'm telling you, every outlet that's an outlet, right? Uh, the NFL, if they can find a way to make some money off it, they're going to do it. So, uh, you know, I saw Albert Breer point out the fact that uh, the NFL laid people off last year is a shame based off of all the – all the streaming money that they're receiving from these different uh, platforms that want to air NFL games. But we'll talk all things NFL with Tyler Dragon coming up at 4.15. You'll hear from Kelsey Plum in a few minutes. Also, Coach Becky Hammond had an opportunity to catch up with her. Kirsten Bell will try to squeeze her in at the end as well. If not, it's not a big deal. We can always get some more in, in, uh, in you know, tomorrow or whatever the case may be. But since we're here, I definitely wanted to show the Aces some love and uh, get those conversations that we had onto the show. I did throw the question out there on the don'tbebroke.com text line at 69187, keyword R&R. And, of course, whenever we don't have a guest, which isn't very much time, but when we don't have a guest, you can always chime in as well at 702-365-9200. Uh, the Raiders met with Marcus Peters today. I don't know if that, that meeting is still going on. I don't know if he took a physical. I don't know what the case may be. Maybe it's just a little fact-finding mission that they're on. But I did ask the question, do you think Marcus Peters should be signed by the Silver and Black? And then looking at the Raiders' interception totals for 2022, they only had six. So I threw it out there. What should the target number be in your mind in 2023? I got a couple texts that I want to get to, and then we'll get to Kelsey Plum. If not right now, we'll get to her at the top of the hour. Uh, Sir Whiskey Ray said, happy Monday, gentlemen. I hope both of you uh, both of you had a fantastic Mother's Day weekend with your lovely moms. I got to res- gotta respond back to the Marcus Peters question. If we can get him on the cheap, then I'm all in on acquiring his services. Since he's coming off an injury, that's my only hesitation. Switching it to the NBA, I can't express how good it felt to take out the defending champions. I'm not here to trash the dubs. I've got too much respect for that organization. Now with the Nuggets on deck tomorrow night for game one, my Lakers are in for another tough battle. Lastly, Damon on Vanderpump rules. I know she's a handful and full of drama, but I can't keep my eyes off of Layla Kent. We agree, or will Kayla get mad at you, Sir Whiskey Ray? So, Damon, I'll let you answer that part because I don't know anything about it. I have no idea who he's even talking about. Uh, Lala Kent and Lala, uh, yeah, Layla, she, whatever yeah, is. she's one of the more Lulu. attractive members of the show. But she's got one of those uh, black scents going on, and sometimes I'm like, that is not how you talk. But she is always filled with. You the call drama. it a black scent? <laughs> yeah. All right. You know what I'm talking. You know. You know. I do. You know. I do. I do. But how much uh, backlash did you get? Did you get anybody in your DMs gloating about the win? Yeah, I got a couple people hitting me up, which is fine. You know, I, I don't have any problem with that. Uh, it's funny, you know, as many times as I said it on the show, I was like, I, it wasn't a series I expected them to win to begin with. So, you know, but it, it is what it is. I got to give the Lakers a lot of credit for what they were able to do as Candace Parker is walking by me again. So <laughs> there she goes. So anyway, uh, it's awesome to see her in person. She is a hell of a player. Uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, so a few people hit me up and, and talked a little noise, but that's okay. I yeah, caught yeah. a stray. I got a smack your Grizzlies, smack Q's Warriors. And oh, I was wow. like, what, what I got? Man, I was done last round. That's I'm funny. out of this. No, look, I'll tell you right now, as I said it before, of course, a fan of any team is going to take it if their team wins it all. But the Warriors had no business, no business even talking about championship this year, the way that they, you know, just – basically poo-pooed on the whole season. Like, come on, man. You guys can't even get up and play a game on the road. Like, give me a break. So they've got a lot of soul-searching they got to do during the offseason. And I've mentioned it before. Their, their team is going to look a lot different, I think, coming up next season. Uh, as far as what uh, Sir Whiskey Ray had to say about um, about Marcus Peters, I, I agree. I don't think that uh, he's going to be a guy that's going to be in line to, to get a lot of money from the Raiders or anyone else. So, you know, if it's a really, really reasonable deal, then cool. Uh, But Adam Hill brought up a great point earlier in the show when we had him on the first hour. He said, the Raiders aren't a Marcus Peters away from being, you know, a contender. 
I mean, if they're trying to bring him in to win, you know, maybe a couple more games and make a few more plays, then cool. But you got to weigh that into consideration when you're weighing about how much you're willing to pay him as well. So I thought uh, Adam brought up a really good point. Uh, also, we got a text from uh, Poncho from Modesto. I said, what up, Q? Uh, Poncho from Modesto, I was the one who texted you earlier about the scripted reality show. Anyways, Marcus Peters, what are the odds of that happening? Would be a really good signing, but at what cost? And thank you, Poncho, for that text. And that's just it, right? It's got to be at a reasonable price. I would not break the bank. He is not Kansas City Chief Marcus Peters, <laughs> right? He's not even L.A. Ram Marcus Peters. I mean, he's, you know, been to Baltimore. He's been injured quite a bit. He's getting, you know, 30 years old, and I know 30 is not old, old, but it's, I mean, in the league, you know, you start to, that starts to be the, the downhill uh, you know, slide unless you're a quarterback. So I, I would definitely look at the money and say, okay, well, is this, is the juice worth the squeeze, right? Simple as that. And so what can he bring to the table? So thank you so much, Poncho, for that text. I appreciate you. Uh, Big Dub Raider said, oh, my God, Q&D. I just watched the Titans schedule release video. Hilarious, LOL. Also, I was today's years old to know teams could pick who they want to play to open the season if you have a home game. Go Raiders. That's Big Dub Raider. And that's referring back to the Denver Broncos basically seeking out and wanting the Raiders for that season opener. And I had heard about that quite a bit uh, leading up to the schedule release. There was a lot of conversations coming out of Denver that that the Broncos were lobbying to try to get the Raiders, and they eventually did. And I just kind of let it go by the wayside. And then I heard Mike Pritchard this morning on the morning tailgate with Clay, Vinny, and Lindsey, and we're saying that, yeah, I mean, he knows from from people inside the building. Of course, Pritchard used to play for the Broncos. Uh, you know, he 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 heard that they, uh, you know, that they did in fact lobby for the Raiders to be that first game of the season. I don't know if it's because the Raiders have had so much success against them. I don't know if it was like what Orlando Franklin mentioned, that they wanted to set a tone and the Raiders are a tone-setting team. They wanted to kind of get that going. I did think, going back to Orlando's conversation, and you know, we've been so busy today, we haven't really had a lot of time to talk about it, but there was a lot of things that you could pull away from that interview we did with Orlando Franklin. A lot of little nuggets and. You know, even though the, the Raiders and, and Broncos hate each other, obviously, and there's so much animosity to, towards the two organizations, including now with the Raiders having Josh McDaniels as the head coach, it just seems like they would always get up. You know, it's like it's like you could tell from when Orlando was talking how much it meant whenever they started talking about the, the Raiders. And, you know, it's funny because he played for the Chargers as well. So he still said that, hey, that has a, you know, the Raiders, they're just that organization that you, you get up for and you get more fired up and, as he mentioned, set the tone. I thought that was really some interesting stuff. 3.59 is the time. We'll take a quick break, come back. We'll hear from Kelsey Plum as myself and Willie Ramirez had a chance to catch up with her earlier today here at Aces Media Day. It's Raider Nation Radio 920.